when we think about our families and our homes, often we don't think about them with a sense of intentionality. We have families because that's just what you do, right? You grow up and you find your career path and you get married and have 2.5 kids and pursue the American dream, right? That's just what you do. And often we think of our families and our homes as just part of the puzzle of chasing the American dream. What if we thought about our families and our homes in a different way? What if we went back to the Word of God and were reminded that God designed the home not as a part of the American dream, but God designed the home as an important part of His kingdom. And if we approach our homes with kingdom intentionality, I think it would be a game changer. And so keeping that in mind, I want you to look with me in Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we will begin. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. Usually I take a passage of Scripture and stay right with it and work through it line by line. This morning will be a little bit different. We're going to look at some different passages together as we talk about kingdom families. But we will begin in Ephesians chapter 6. And just FYI, in the middle part of February, we will begin after this vision series, we will begin uh, a study through the book of Joshua. And I'm excited about that. You'll hear more about that in the coming days. But we are in the middle of a vision series, uh, Vision 2017, if you want to call it something. And we are just reminding each other what our vision is all about. And this vision series is about clarity, so we can all be clear as to what our vision is, and about the process that we have in place and are trying to uh, pursue in order to make disciples in our church. And then we want to talk about ownership. Where are you in that process? And every week of this vision series, we've, we've reminded you as to what our vision is. Our vision, if you've been here for any length of time, is to expand God's kingdom across the street and around the world. And our, our logo helps us to communicate the components of our vision. There's that little icon in our logo. It's in the O of the word point. And that icon has four parts. If you see the four parts of that icon, the first part reminds us of the need to make kingdom citizens. We believe that people are in one of two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. And the only way someone can go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light is through Jesus Christ. He's the only way to be saved, the only way to be brought into the kingdom of God. And so we have it as our priority to go and share the good news about Jesus so people can be saved and go from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so we want to see people become kingdom citizens. We want to see people saved. And then we want to make kingdom connections. When people are brought into the kingdom of God, we believe that spiritual growth happens best in the context of community and the context of relationships. And so 
We don't want to see people lost in the crowd. We want to get them connected with a small group. We call our small groups around here connect groups. And in the context of that connect group, we want to see them mature. And we want to see them minister to and ministering to others. And we want to see them multiplying by sharing the gospel with others. That's what our connect groups are about. I talked about our connect groups last week and shared some big picture vision things with you related to our connect groups and have heard some tremendous feedback about people taking that stuff seriously and actually looking at ways they can multiply as connect groups. And so that's exciting to see God do that. But the third part of our kingdom vision relates to kingdom families. And I'm going to talk to you about that this morning, about our homes being kingdom outposts for the glory of God. And the fourth part of our vision relates to kingdom advance, planting new churches. We'll talk a lot about church planting and sending people to the ends of the earth with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk a lot about that, excited to talk about that. But notice, as we've discussed the four components of our vision, notice right in the middle of that icon is the cross, which reminds us that Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ is central to all that we do. It's about Jesus and only Jesus. Amen? And so we want to be a church that, that preaches the gospel and lifts up the mighty and strong name of Jesus Christ. And that is our, our kingdom vision, the components of our kingdom vision. And we're breaking down those components one by one. And this morning I want to talk to you about kingdom families. Kingdom families. We'll begin in Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 1, I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. The Bible says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And all the parents said, Amen. Amen. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And all the kids said, Okay, all right. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we pause today to give you praise. You are worthy of every word of adoration. You are worthy of every song of worship. You are worthy of all glory all honor, and all praise. And so, Lord, as we come to this time of studying your word, we give you glory. And we come with expectancy because we know that as we study your word, you are speaking to your people. And that's an awesome reality. Lord, I pray that as we study the Bible, your spirit would accompany us, that you would by your Spirit, open the eyes of our hearts that we would see the truth of Scripture. And Holy Spirit of God, would you give us the inclination to respond to what you show us, to be more than just hearers of the Word, Lord, to be doers of the Word. Would you do that? And would you help us in these moments to lift up Jesus Christ, for it's all about Him. And God, we will thank you for your presence we will thank you, Lord, for your grace in this moment. And we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I want to give you three metaphors this morning that I'm going to ask you to apply to your home. Or three ways 
to think about your home. More than just, you know, hey, I got married, I had 2.5 kids, and that's just what I'm just doing, the American thing. I want you to think of your home with biblical intentionality. And these metaphors are intended to help you to think about your home in that way. So let me give you these three metaphors, three ways that I'm encouraging you to think about your home. Number one, think about your home as an incubator. An incubator. An incubator is simply an apparatus that is enclosed, and it provides a controlled environment for the care and protection of premature or unusually small babies. It's also used as an apparatus to hatch eggs or grow microorganisms under controlled conditions. An incubator provides the right environment, controlled, protected environment for growth. And I believe that God has designed our homes to be a controlled, protected environment so that our kids can grow and so that we can grow as parents and as adults. And so think of your home as an incubator. The family is designed by God to be an incubator that produces faithful followers of Christ. That's why he's, that's why he's designed it. So that so in the context of that home, in the context of that family, people can grow and mature by God's grace into obedient followers of Jesus. Now, what kind of environment produces spiritual growth? What kind of environment will make your home a spiritual incubator? What needs to be a reality in your home for growth to take place? Well, I'm glad you asked. I think the Bible gives us some great insight into this. When it starts there in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, it says that children are to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Then fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so the idea there is that the kids in that home will be growing, they will be maturing, they will be be instructed so they can follow Christ themselves. And so that speaks of an environment, an environment of discipline, a, an environment of instruction, a controlled environment in which our kids can grow, can grow. And here's the kind of environment that produces spiritual growth. First of all, an environment that is saturated with Scripture. An environment that is saturated with Scripture. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God relays to His people the the nation of Israel, the kind of environment they ought to have in their homes. Ephesians chapter 6 starts with this famous statement of faith called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. And then God tells his people how to teach the children to love the Lord their God. He says, teach them my commandments. When you're in the home, when you're walking along the way, teach them, talk about them, pass the commandments of God on to your children. And then it says things like, hey, make sure the word of God is on your doorposts. Make sure the word of God is conspicuous where people can see it so that if people come into contact with your home that they know, hey, this is a home that takes the word of God seriously. And so Deuteronomy 6 reminds us that an environment that produces growth 
is an environment that is saturated with Scripture. That means that as parents, our job is to talk about the Word of God, to teach the Word of God systematically, consistently, to look for teachable moments, to apply the Word of God to our children's lives and to their worldview, to make sure the Word of God is conspicuous, to make sure that our kids see us reading the Bible. We need to make sure our homes are saturated with Scripture. So how about you? If someone came and hung out with you for a couple of days, would they leave saying, this is an environment that is saturated with God's Word. God's Word is conspicuous. People are reading their Bibles. People are talking about the Word of God. Would they say that about your home? And if the answer is no, then take some practical steps to saturate your home with Scripture. One practical step would be to get it out and read it as a family. We call that family worship. At 11 o'clock, one of our PATH seminars is going to take place right upstairs in the youth suite. And our PATH ministry team has put together some great resources to equip you to have family worship in your home. Several times a week, you get together as as a family and you read the Word of God together. You talk about it for a few moments You pray together, and then you sing a song of worship. Read, pray, sing. Read, pray, sing. And we're going to equip you to do that. And that's a a wonderful, systematic, consistent way to, to make the Word of God conspicuous in your home. That's practical. You, you can do that. Everyone can do that. You say, wait, I'm not a preacher. I can't have family church. Well, listen, just open up the Bible and read a passage, then close the Bible. That's better than nothing. Amen? The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And you just reading the Word of God can do wonders. So I don't know where to start. Open up the book of John and read a passage per per worship, per family worship time. Just, Just read through God's Word. Pray for each other. Sing a, a song like, God is so good. You can do that. And by having that consistent family worship time in your home, you are signaling to your kids the Word of God is cherished in this home. It is important. I believe our kids need to catch us reading the Bible. Amen? If we're going to have a home saturated with Scripture, they they should see us engaging the Scripture ourselves. Listen to me. You know what exasperates kids? We talked about the exasperation in Ephesians chapter 6. Fathers don't exasperate your kids. You know what exasperates kids? When they hear, do as I say, not as I do. That is that Kids are smart. And very quickly, if you're saying, hey, you need to learn the Bible. That's important. The Bible's a good book. But they never see you engaging it. That's hard for them to process. That's exasperating. And so begin to engage the Bible as an individual. Read the Bible systematically. Google Bible reading plan. And I promise you, you'll have more options than you can look at that come up that will will be things you can put into place to read through the Bible systematically. And so, an environment that is saturated with Scripture. Number two. What kind of environment produces spiritual growth? An environment that is filled with love. An environment that is filled with love. 
Over in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, Peter reminds Christians of the priority of love. He says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Hey, guess what? Your family is full of sinners. My family is full of sinners, starting with the dad and the husband. We're sinners, and we're going to blow it, right? And we live in close proximity, and we're going to frustrate each other, and we're going to let each other down, and we're going to treat each other wrong. And so in the context of that relationship that God has designed, the priority of family, we better learn to love. Because if we don't learn to love our way through the failures of each other, then our family will be marked by dysfunction. And that's not doing anybody any good, right? And the way that you, that you kick dysfunction out the door is by loving each other. That's how you do it. Christ-like, unconditional love. He goes on to say, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So we are to love, we are to show hospitality, we are to put each other ahead of ourselves. And an environment that is filled with love is an environment that is suited for spiritual growth. Third, what kind of environment produces spiritual growth? An environment that is joyful. An environment that is joyful. Hey, how many of you figured out that life is hard? Raise your hand if you figured that one out. All right. If you haven't figured that out yet, you just haven't lived long enough. Life is hard, right? I mean, there's, there's hardships and, and we have failures and things don't go the way we want them to go. Perhaps we struggle financially or we have health concerns or relational concerns, concerns at, at, on the job, things aren't going good at school. I mean, life is hard. It's not easy. And it can hurt. Do you know what the Bible says over in Proverbs 17, 22? The Bible says that a merry heart, a joyful heart is like medicine. It binds up wounds. It binds up brokenness caused by the hardships of life. And in your home, you're going to hurt. And in your home... Your spouse is going to hurt. And in your home, your kids are going to hurt because life is hard. But if there is an environment of joy, that joy can soothe the wounds that life causes. Joy is like a medicine. That's what the Bible says. And so make sure that your home is filled with the joy of the Lord. There should be There should be laughter. You should play games together. You should tell jokes. You should have fun. Because joy binds up our wounds. An environment that is joyful. If your home is not a joyful environment, ask God to make it joyful. That ought to be your number one prayer priority. God, would you bring joy to my home? Or would you bring joy back to my home? Would you do that? Number one, or number four, an environment that produces spiritual growth is an environment that is always on guard, a vigilant environment. A vigilant environment. Look over with me in Ephesians chapter six, or sorry, chapter five. Ephesians chapter five, verse eight. 
Ephesians 5 verse 8. Paul writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So he's reminding the believers in Ephesus, Hey, there was a time when you were walking in darkness. You were lost in your sins far from God. So he says here, verse 9, Verse 8, walk as children of light. Hey, walk in accordance with your new nature. Now that you've been saved, you've been made brand new, live like it. That's what he's saying. And he goes on to say, For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now look in verse 11. Take no part, watch this, in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. It is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Look in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time. Why? Because the days are evil. So Paul is reminding the believers in Ephesus, you are surrounded by darkness. You are surrounded by evil. Therefore, be on guard so that... You don't take part in those evil things. That those evil things, those things that are darkness, do not rule and reign in your home. That means that you and I have to be on guard against darkness and evil and not let it infiltrate our homes. There are new challenges to this. Social media... Tablets and smartphones have made access to unfruitful works of darkness oh so easy and prevalent. And I don't have all the answers. In our PATH ministry, which is designed to equip you as families, we have some sessions on how you walk your kids through social media, how you walk them through technology. We've got some very practical, helpful tools for you in that. So next time that comes around, you need to take that, that, that seminar. And we'll get the resources in your hands. If you need them right now, talk to, to Kevin in the children's area, or Derek in the student area, or Patty in the preschool area, and they'll get resources in your hands to help you to navigate this crazy technological world in which we live. It's different than when you were a kid. Amen? It's different. And so we've got to learn how to navigate that and help our kids to put up barriers and protections against the darkness and to be vigilant against the darkness because here's the deal. Your kids don't have to go looking for it. It will come looking for them. We've got to be wise. We've got to be wise. We need to think about media. We need to think about what we read, what we watch, what we listen to. We've got to be on guard against unfruitful works of darkness that infiltrate our home and begin to affect our lives. Listen to me. I grew up in North Florida. A lot of sandy uh, ground, a lot of palmettos, fronds, and that was a habitat that was well-suited for rattlesnakes. You always had to be on guard against rattlesnakes. I grew up on a dirt road, and I remember one time we were leaving, and we got on the dirt road, and there was a rattlesnake that almost, almost covered the entire width of the road, about that big around. It was a huge, huge rattlesnake, we, and, and, and we took care of it. We have any 
nature lovers or, you know, PETA people in here. But, hey, we, uh, we, we, we made it safer for everyone. All right, I'll say that. All right. Um, but listen to me. Would you take a snake like that and bring it in your living room and put it in the middle of the carpet or the middle of the floor and say, Hey, got a new visitor. It's a rattlesnake. And just walk away? Of course you wouldn't. That would be foolish. But there are so many things that we allow into our homes and our kids' lives that are deadlier for their soul than a rattlesnake. Deadly. And we've got to be vigilant because our homes are incubators. That's how God designed them. Help our kids grow. And if we allow the unfruitful works of darkness in our home, they will stunt our our kids' growth and uh, destroy them and destroy us. We must be on guard against the evil all around us. But come in close. Not only do we need to be on guard against the evil around us, we need to be on guard against the evil within us. We're all sinners. We've got an old, even as new believers, we've got a, a new creatures in Christ. We've got an old sin nature. It's what Ephesians 5 says. Don't go back to the unfruitful works of darkness. And if we're not feeding our soul and walking with God, then our flesh will take control. Our old sin nature will take control. And evil within us will begin to infiltrate our hearts and those around us. Listen to me. Don't think if you've just got some barriers around your home that every, everything's safe. We've all got evil lurking in our hearts. And we've got to be on guard. Amen? It means we've got to walk with God and... And pursue holiness and and forgive each other when we blow it. We've got to be on guard. And so think of your home as an incubator. Is the environment in your home conducive to your spiritual growth and conducive to your kids' spiritual growth? If it's not, begin today. Go to the seminar at 11 o'clock. Begin today pursuing this kind of environment. There's a second metaphor I want to give you quickly. Not only do I want you to think of your home as an incubator, I want you to think of your home as an armory. An armory. Turn to Psalm 127 with me. Psalm 127. A familiar passage of Scripture for many of you. Psalm 127. We'll look in verse 3. Now, you know what an armory is, right? An armory is a place where weapons are manufactured and stored so they can be ready for battle. And I'm submitting to you that your home needs to be an armory. A place that is preparing those in your home for battle. Spiritual battle. And we see this idea in Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows. Now look at the metaphor the psalmist used. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is a man whose quiver is, is full, uh, who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Isn't it interesting that... The Lord here uses weaponry as a metaphor for your children's lives. Could that mean that God 
wants our homes to be an armory. A place where we are preparing our children and preparing ourselves for the day of battle. So what does this mean? Well, first of all, it means we are to raise our children. Our PATH ministry that equips and encourages families, uh, the, the tagline is Raise Disciple Launch. And we are to raise our children. That means that you are to shape your arrows. Shape your arrows. God has blessed you with children in your home. Your job is to shape them, to direct them to Jesus Christ so they can grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and come to know Him as their Lord and Savior. That means you need to share the gospel in your home. You need to share the gospel with your kids. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. Tell them that Jesus rose from the dead and defeated death itself. Tell them that if they call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Tell them to place their faith and trust in Christ, not themselves. Tell them there's only one remedy for their sin, and his name is Jesus. That needs to come from your lips. You need to share the gospel with your kids. And hey, here's a real practical thing that I've learned can help. If you're wondering maybe where your kids are in their understanding of the gospel, have them explain it to you. Say to your, to, to your kids, if you're trying to discern where they are, say, hey, and even your children that have professed faith in Christ, say to them, hey, tell me how to get saved. Share the good news with me and see what they say. See if their understanding is accurate. And that can help you to understand how to, how to invest in their lives. But we're to raise our children, shape our arrows. We, we, we want to have them come to Christ so they can be sharp for the glory of God, shaped for the glory of God. Second thing, we're to, to disciple our children. Sharpen your arrows. Sharpen your arrows. It says here, children are... Heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb will reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. A warrior is going to make sure that his arrows are sharpened and able to do what he wants them to do. And so we need to make sure not only are our kids shaped by coming to Christ, but our kids are sharpened by learning to follow Christ. Discipleship. That means that it is incumbent upon us as parents to teach our children how to follow Jesus. To teach them how to, how to read their Bible, how to pray, how to fight temptation. Why involvement in church is important, the local church. We, we're, we're called to teach them these things. And as we teach them how to follow Jesus, how to walk with Him, we are sharpening their lives so they can be more effective in the battle for the glory of God. Which leads to the third thing. We are to launch our children into God's purpose for their lives. That means you are to shoot your arrows for the glory of God. Arrows are not meant to stay in the quiver. Can I get an amen? I mean, if, 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 if an archer is in a battle and the arrows stay in his quiver, the archer is not effective. Arrows are designed to be shot from a bow. And this idea of our children being arrows in the hands of a warrior reminds us there's coming a day when we are to launch them out into the world to fulfill and pursue God's purpose for their lives and to live for the glory of God and make a difference. We're called to prepare them for that. And when that time comes, release them to follow Jesus Christ. 
I've had two parents come to me this past week and talk about the call of missions on their kids' lives and how God is doing a work to move them to, to, to leave the familiar and go overseas and plant their lives for an extended period of time and make disciples among unreached peoples. And hear these parents be honest. Oh, it's tough. It's tough. I mean, one mom, we're dealing with grandbabies here, right? It's tough. It's tough. But to hear them say, I'm excited for them. I can't wait to see what God does. That they want to launch them into God's purpose is thrilling. It's what it's all about. It's not easy, but that's what it's all about. I had a conversation with my dad. My last year of college that changed my life, changed the trajectory of my life. God used it in a mighty way. I was getting ready to graduate. I was a business major, had no idea what I wanted to do, but I had all these kind of goals and things that I wanted to pursue. And uh, I was thinking about my future, and God did a work in my life. Through my college years, the Lord was not my priority. He was not first in my life, but through some discipleship with my pastor, God used Matthew 6, in my life in a major way. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And so God moved in my heart and, and I began to really seek the Lord first in my life. I remember I came back from a conversation with a pastor and God had used that verse in my life. And for the first time in, in a long time in my dorm room, I got on my knees there by my bed in my dorm room and I opened my Bible and, and I said to the Lord, I'm, I'm going to seek you first. Almost immediately after that, I began to sense a call to the ministry. Can't explain it to you. All I know is I began to think about what it would be like to pastor a church. And began to think things like, I wonder what seminary's like. I began to talk to my pastor about it. He began to walk me through it. And God just began to change my desires over time to the point where I could see myself doing nothing else. I had a, a burning desire to preach the gospel, to preach the word, to pastor God's people. And God just did that. He did that. Well, that's a major life changer when you're a business major. And there's no preacher in your family. My dad's not a preacher. My grandpa's, grandfathers were not preachers. As far as I know, there are no preachers in my family as far back as we can remember and I went to my dad one day. I'll never forget it. He was out in the backyard. I was home visiting my, my folks. And he was doing some yard work. And he was kneeling down, doing something with the grass. And I began to talk to dad about my future. And uh, he said, well, wait, what, what, are you, what are you wanting to do? And I said, well, dad, I think God may be calling me into the ministry. And he stopped for a minute. He looked up at me. And he said, is that what God wants you to do? That was his question. And I said, yes, sir, I think it is. Here was his answer. Listen to me. This gave me life. Listen, he said, well, you better do it then. If that's what God wants you to do, you better do it. He didn't try to talk me out of it or, no, what about this? No, he said, you better do it. And our job as parents is to point our kids to Christ to sharpen them, to help them to connect with the Lord so He can show them His will for their life. And when God makes it clear what He wants for them, we are the ones that come along and say, if that's what God wants, you better do it. 
We launch them into the world to make a difference. And so our homes are to be incubators and our homes are to be armories. But third, very quickly, I want you to think of your home as a lighthouse. That's the third metaphor. A lighthouse. Look with me over in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You know what a lighthouse is. I'm from Florida. There's a lot of lighthouses along the coast. A lighthouse is a tower with powerful lights that is built on or near the shore. And the purpose of a lighthouse is to guide ships away from danger into safe harbor. That's what a lighthouse is all about. Now I submit to you that our homes should be able to bear witness to Christ and truth so that If others are watching our home, they can learn how to avoid danger and destruction and learn how to find safe harbor. Our homes should be lighthouses. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Interesting, Jesus mentions a house there. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and and he tells us we are to be light. Let our light shine so people can see the difference Jesus has made in our lives can actually move people toward the Savior. Certainly this applies to individual believers in Christ. And certainly it applies to our homes. Because we want our homes to be lighthouses. Guiding people toward safe harbor. Letting our light shine involves every area of our lives. Including our homes. It involves your workplace. It involves your life. When you're at school, it involves your relationships, it involves your recreation, it involves your home. Let your light shine. Now, how do we let our light shine? Very quickly, we can let our light shine, first of all, through our lives. Through our lives. Over in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, Peter tells the believers that are undergoing persecution, he says, Hey, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Let them see the difference that Jesus Christ makes. And we can let our light shine through our lives. Now listen to me. If you are saved, Jesus makes a difference. Amen? And people need to see the difference that Jesus Christ makes. So if you're yelling your head off at the referee at a game, just like all the other parents... Got really quiet all of a sudden. People don't see the difference. If you're cheating on your expense report at work, just like everybody else is, people don't see the difference. If you're ugly to your spouse, people don't see the difference. If you're ruled by anger, people don't see the difference. But if we live a life before a watching world, that is being conformed daily to the image of Christ. I'm not talking about perfection. No one's perfect in here. I'm talking about, hey, we are letting Jesus have his way and change us. People will begin to see the difference. Your light will shine. So we can can let our light shine through our lives. 
Secondly, we can let our light shine through our lips, 1 Peter 3. Hey, be ready, verse 15, be ready to give an answer for those that, that ask you about the hope you have. One day when someone in your workplace experiences crisis and their life is falling apart, they're going to begin to look for someone whose life is not falling apart. And if you've been letting your light shine for Jesus, they may come to you and say, can you help me? How can you have joy and hope and peace and fulfillment in your life? And then you can share the good news about Jesus. Amen? Look for opportunities to share with your lips the gospel of Jesus Christ. We talked about how you do that two sermons ago. God, man, Christ's response, share your story, tell his story. We're going to continue to train you in that, but we need to share the gospel with our lips. We can let our light shine through our marriages. Ephesians 5, 22-33 says that wives are to submit to their husbands graciously. And husbands are to love their wives like Christ loves the church. Those are the roles that God has given men and women in the context of marriage. Men and women are completely equal in the eyes of God. There is no question about that. And in the marriage relationship, God gives those equals different roles so they complement one another and the marriage is healthy. It says in Ephesians 5 that this, this willing, gracious submission to the husband and this loving the wife like Christ loves the church, it's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of how Jesus loves his church and how the church loves him and follows him. Listen to me. Your marriage, Ephesians 5 says, is a picture, a reflection of the gospel. Again, no perfect marriages in here. But if we're growing and if we're working and we're loving and we're forgiving, people will see the difference. And they will see reflections of the love of Jesus for us. And God can use that to open a door to share the good news that changes lives and changes marriages. Amen? And then fourth, we can let our light shine through our kids. Through our kids. Look in Jeremiah 1. We're going to close with this. Jeremiah 1. Very interesting passage of Scripture. This is God's call to Jeremiah to be a prophet. And when God first called Jeremiah, Jeremiah was skeptical. He wasn't having it. Listen to what it says in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Hey, quick aside here. A, a, a baby in a womb, even before that baby is born, has been formed by God, and God has a purpose for that baby's life. And that baby has intrinsic value and worth. May we be people who understand the sanctity and the value of life, because that's what the Bible tells us. It goes on to say, Then I said, this is Jeremiah responding to God's call, Oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a what? A youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say... I am only a youth. Do not say, when I get grown up, I'll serve Jesus. Look what he says. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. 
Whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. God called Jeremiah as a youth. We don't know exactly what age, but he was a youth. Young man. And God used his life mightily. And we need to banish this idea of perpetual adolescence. Listen to me. That I'm going to treat my kids like kids in their childhood years, their teenage years, their young adult years. I'm going to keep treating them like kids. Listen to me. Your child has been shaped by the hands of Almighty God. And God has a purpose for their life. And they don't have to wait to get older to serve Jesus. We need to encourage them to grow up and mature, even while they're young, and serve Jesus now. To take ownership of their faith now. That's what we are called to do as parents. Let me read you a quote from an article called The Historic Role of Young People in God's Global Plans by a man named Rick James with Campus Crusade for Christ. He writes, When we think of the great heroes of the Bible, it's easy to forget that many of them were just recently over the throes of puberty when God began to work in their lives. Mentally go back through the scriptures. Think of men such as Daniel, Joseph, David, Gideon, Samuel, Solomon, Josiah. Think of women like Ruth, Esther, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Quite typically, listen, God initiated his plans through the youthful zeal and passion of young men and women. Young people, don't believe the lie that you have to grow up to serve Jesus. You can serve Jesus now. You say, well, wait, there's no prayer in my schools. You go and pray in your school. No one can stop you from bowing your head and in the the quietness of your heart calling out to Jesus, asking Him to bless your teacher and bless your classmates and bless your uh, faculty and bless your school and to do a work of revival and awakening there. No one can stop you from doing that. No one. And if Christians will pray, guess what? Prayer's not out of schools anymore. Don't believe the lie. That you can't have an impact in your friends' lives. I told our connect group leaders recently, one of the great regrets from my teenage years is that I did not leverage my relationships to share Christ. I was a Christian, and I had friends that would sit down and let me talk to them for three hours at a time about anything I wanted to talk to them about. They would have heard me out, but I, I did not talk to them about spiritual things. And they would have listened. Don't believe the lie that God can't use you as a mouthpiece for the good news in your young years. He used Jeremiah and so many others. And so we can let our light shine through our kids. We need to encourage our kids to be gospel witnesses and gospel warriors. To walk with God even when they're young. That's what we're called to do. So here's the point. Our families can point to the one who offers safe harbor. We can be a lighthouse. We can show other families, other homes, how to find safe harbor in Christ to avoid danger and destruction. 
And here's our vision, the component of our kingdom vision. We envision our homes being kingdom outposts that shine brightly for Jesus in our community. When you think of your home as an incubator and an armory and a lighthouse, you begin to think about the home with intentionality. Not the American dream, but a kingdom outpost. That's what God has called us to be.